last one. That'll be $120. How would you like to pay? Here's $50 in cash. Can you put $30 on this card? $10 on that? $20 on that? So cute. Declined. Really? Could you just, could you try it again? Really declined. Should we get the lights on there? Yeah. Lights, there we go. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Welcome to, yep. Welcome to the well here at STSA. And I see lots of new faces joining us here today, and we're so happy that you came. If you're joining us here today for the first time, you came on, like our wonderful host said, a very special Sunday. Every Sunday is the best Sunday around here. And this particular Sunday, what we're talking about is we're in part two of a series we started last week called Burnt Out, Finding Peace on Earth. Because the one thing that everyone is looking for as we approach this Christmas season is usually the one thing that we find the least of, which is peace on this earth. Last week, I started you off with a game where I made you all raise your hands and we agreed. And so many people said, I hate the raising of the hand game, so I got a new game for you. Doesn't it make you raise your hands, all right? I want to tell you about a game that I used to play back when I, before I became a priest. Okay, so for those who don't know, I worked for about two and a half years after I graduated college as an IT consultant. Raise your hand if you're a consultant here in this room right here. Raise your hand if you're, oh, I said no raising hands. Okay, but that's, this one's okay. Raise your hand if you're a consultant. Okay, so if you're not from this area, put your hands down. If you're not from this area, I want to help you understand what a consultant is because most people from outside the D.C. area don't really know what a consultant is. You tell them you're a consultant, and they don't really know what it is. And the reason why is because we who are consultants, we don't really know what it is either. But I know that when I graduated college back in 1998, they were throwing jobs left and right at anyone who knew anything about IT. And I was able to benefit from that boom, okay? And I remember one of my first projects, okay, y'all remember for those who go throwback here, Y2K? Remember Y2K? Okay, these are the things we used to do. Okay, we thought the world, for those of you who are young, we thought the world was going to explode when we hit the year 2000 because all the numbers in the computers were like two digits, so 99, okay? So what was going to happen in Y2K? And we really thought like the banks were just going to explode, monies were going to be falling from the sky. So I was on a Y2K project for the first year and a half. Anyway, I want to share with you three things that I learned as a consultant because most people don't get the experience of being a consultant. So the first thing I learned, and most consultants would agree, I learned how to be at work for nine hours and do absolutely nothing. And not feel guilty about that one bit. 
I also learned the inverse of that, how to be at work for nine hours and be gone for four of those nine hours and no one would find out. And for you youngins today, you say, well, how is that possible? See, back when we were, this is before screensavers were controlled centrally. So we could set our own screensaver or we could turn it off. Okay? So this is the, the key for us here. And then most important thing I learned as a consultant, I learned how to juggle. Like juggle. Not like juggle stuff, like really learned how to juggle. And I used to actually be pretty good, okay, in juggling. And I used to be able to go like one behind the back and things like that. So I was actually pretty good. If you don't believe me, join for the New Year's parties. Maybe I'll bust out the juggling at that time. But a more serious thing that I learned that I wanted to share, we used to, again, as consultants, you have a lot of meetings, okay, where you don't really do anything. You just meet. And you don't even know why. You just, that's what you do. You just have meetings. So we would have lots of intellectual, philosophical discussions at our meetings. And one of the ones that I still remember, we probably debated this topic for probably about six-month period. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Now, you laugh. And you say, okay, we discussed that back in seventh grade, okay? But I'm talking about, like, in seventh grade, we said, like, okay, every guy said superpower would be, like, x-ray vision. Okay, that's what every boy wanted in seventh grade, okay? And we said, get rid of those, am those are amateur stuff, okay? Or, I wish I could fly. And we discussed the flying thing at length, and we discussed that it's really not as practical as it sounds. If you could fly, like, the bugs and the just different things. If you could have any superpower in the whole wide world, I'll tell you the top two after months and months of debate with the highest of the high intellectual people as consultants, we came to these top two. So number two was actually the one I suggested, which I think you'll say is a good one. Number two was that no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone says, your superpower is you would always have the perfect comeback. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? That means that you never get home and say, oh, I wish I would have said. Or like, oh, I didn't think of that at the time. That's a good one, right? So that is second only to the number one superpower that we agreed was the number one that anyone could have. And that is the ability to control time. And we said, wouldn't it be a great superpower? Of course, we thought about it in maybe some not so nice ways. But wouldn't it be nice if you could add an hour or two when you need it? Take away a few hours when you don't want them. Wouldn't it be nice if it's like Saturday mid-afternoon and you could just reset back to Friday night? If you could just extend the weekend. Wouldn't, I used to always say, like, for me, like Thursdays. Thursdays is kind of like that perfect day for me. I love Thursdays. So wouldn't it be great if it was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday? You know what I mean? Wouldn't it be great if you could add time whenever you wanted? Add a weekday. Add a month. Add a week. Add an hour. Add even just five minutes when you're running late something. Wouldn't it be great if you had the superpower that you could control time? Let's say, hypothetically, you had that superpower. You can control time. Right now, I say, time is in your hands, and you can add an extra hour or an extra day. What would you do with it? What would you do with it? I give you the superpower. Boom, by the power vested in me by the state of Virginia, I give you the superpower. You can control time. You can add an extra hour today. Add an extra day this week. What would you do with it? Sleep, okay. What else would you do with it? I'll tell you what most people would say. Most people would say, I think that was a good one. Someone said sleep. I would say rest. A lot of people would say rest. Wouldn't you say that? How about take some time to myself? I would love to take some time to myself. How about I'd spend some time with God? You know what? I'd pray. I'd read my Bible. How about forget about God? I'd spend time with loved ones. This is what we would do, right? Like if I had more time, I'd spend more time with loved ones. How about if I had more time, then I would do the things that really, really are important to me. Like I said, spend time with God or whatever it may be. That's what you say you would do, right? Agree? That's what you would do? 
You do one of those important things, right? Wrong. False. That's a lie. That is not what you would do with that extra time. And I can prove it to you. If you had more time, if you... See, we think in terms of, I don't do these things because I don't have enough time. And that's false. You know why? Because when you did have more time, you didn't do any of those things. Think to the last time you had a day off of work. You had a day off of work. How many people spent the last time they had a day off of work, eight hours in the glorious presence of God, basking in his beauty and majesty, praying and reading the Bible all day? How many people spent the entire day saying, you know what, I'm going to go visit my parents, and I'm going to go spend more time with my kids? How many people spend more time doing those things, sleeping all day and resting? You know what you probably did on the last time you had a day off? You did more errands. You caught up on some email. You did the stuff. I bet you that you had a list of important things, but then all these urgent things came and crushed the important things, and you end up spending your entire day running, putting out fire after fire after fire. Just this past Sunday, after, after last week's message, someone who I respect a lot sent me a text message and was saying that the message that I said like really hit home. He was saying, you know what? It's so true. He's saying, me and my wife, if we have an extra 15 minutes, like if we have an extra 15 minutes, she will go and she'll put an extra pie in the oven. You know, we have two pies. We need a third pie. And he said, you know what? If I have an extra 15 minutes, first thing I do is think of, I need to respond to these emails. Or I need to get this work stuff done. See, we think... We think the reason we don't do those important things is because we don't have time. Well, I'm here to tell you that that isn't the truth. It's not a matter of having more time. It's a matter of spending the time that you have in a more wise way. To just tune in right here, this is what we talked about last week. We're talking about margin. And what does margin mean? Margin is the difference between my load and my limit. Margin is the difference between my capacity and my need. Meaning, I need or I have... 30 minutes till my next appointment, but I need 32 minutes to get there. I have no margin. I have negative margin. Means I have $100 in my pocket, but I have $110 in bills. No margin. Negative margin. We need to operate in such a way that if I have 110 in bills, then I have 120 in my pocket. We need margin because the best things in life happen in, our, in margin. Specifically, we're talking about margin in three areas. In our time, with our finances, and with our relationships. Today, we're talking about time. When it comes to this issue of margin, most of us operate when our, with our time at zero margin, meaning whatever time we have, we fill it up to the brim. If you have an extra hour, you plan an hour's worth of stuff. If you have an hour and 10 minutes, you plan an hour and 15 minutes worth of stuff. If you know that you have extra time, you fill it, you fill it, you fill it. And it's all under, it's all under the title of, I'm busy, I'm busy. Think about it. When was the last time you said to somebody, hey, how are things going? First response out of most people, oh, busy. Hey, I haven't seen you at church in my own busy. Hey, how's work? Oh, busy, busy, busy. When was the last time you asked someone, hey, how's work going? Say, oh, I'm not doing anything. You know why we would never say that even if it's true? Why would we never say that? Why? You tell me. Why would no one ever say that even if it's 100% true? Why? Because you'd feel like a loser. Because we have bought the lie that busy equals important. We convinced ourselves that busy, busy, busy equals important, important, important. People meet me all the time. I know you're so busy, but please, how you know I'm so busy? Like you just met me. Why you say I'm so busy? Like you don't know me. It's a compliment to say, I know you're so busy. I'm telling you, in front of God, just this past week, a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old came to me in confession. 
And I said, do you read your Bible and do you pray every day? Nine-year-old said, you know, things are really busy right now at school. I'm not joking. I promise you, I'm not joking. He said, really busy, a lot of homework. He's nine. Where did this nine-year-old learn it from? And we say his parents, you know, he learned it from us. Because this is the life we live. Pray, no, I'm busy. Spend time with the parents, no, I will, but I'm busy. It's never my fault. It's never my fault. It's I'm busy. And we discussed last week how busyness is not a condition. It's not a disease. I have busyness. Busyness is a choice. And because we have bought the lie. We bought the lie that busy means important. We bought the lie that bigger is always better. That if you have this size home, that if you have a bigger home, you'll be more happy. That if you have this iPhone, but if you have the newer iPhone, you'll be more happy. We bought the lie that if anything's newer, we need that newer. That you have Madden 14 and 15, but you need Madden 16. We bought that lie that we always need the newest and the best of everything. And that's how we got to this state that we're in. We blame work. We blame others. It's our own fault. Does God have anything to say about the busyness of life and the lack of margin? Yes. Last week, we looked at three laws that God built into the fabric of mankind when he was establishing a society, when he was establishing the nation of Israel. And we said he gave us the law of tithe, meaning you make X, you keep Y. There always has to be a margin. He gave us the law of Sabbath. I give you this number of days. You can only use this number of days. This part is margin. And he gave us the law of gleanings. I give you this field, and you reap all the harvest, but you leave the edges as margin. God built in this idea of margin into our very life. Why? Because like we said last week, when there is no margin, stress goes up, relationships go down, and our focus narrows to an unhealthy degree on that area where there is no margin. Today, we're tackling the hardest of the three areas, margin with our time. And let me tell you how you can tell if you have no margin in your time. Ask yourself, how often do you say phrases such as this? Oh, sorry, I'm running late. Oh, no, I'm sorry, it's traffic. Oh, no, I'm sorry, my boss needed. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. Ask yourself how many times you say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit late. Or the inverse. You don't even wait to say sorry. You say in advance. You say, you know what, I'll be there, but I'm going to be a few minutes late. No, no, don't wait for me. Go ahead and start without me. Or, you know, actually, what time does this actually happen? Because I may not be there at the beginning, and I might have to leave early, but I can come for this little period in the middle. But I'm, when I come, I'm going to kind of stand in the back because I don't want to come and, like, really invest. I'm just going to stand in the back, kind of check my phone and leave because I'm, I'm busy rushing off to the next thing. Ask yourself how many times you apologize for not being somewhere or being late to somewhere. How many times do you think, parents especially, okay, everyone, but really parents, how many times... When you were at work, are you thinking to yourself, man, I really need to be home right now. And then you get home, and all you're thinking about is, man, I really should be working right now. And wherever you are, you're not really there because you're kind of engaged in the next thing that you should be doing. I'm at work, I should be home. I'm at home, I should be at work. How many times you find yourself, you drive too fast, you eat in the car, you're busy, 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 go, 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 and you know you're too busy when anyone who interrupts, may God have mercy on the person who interrupts your schedule, you go crazy on them. No margin. Single people, I went crazy on you last week. Let me remind you what I went crazy on. Single people. People, you are never at a time in life where you have more flexibility in your schedule. Yet how many times, single people, we find ourselves completely overbooked. Hey, need help with this? No, I can't. Okay, how about this? No, I wish, but I got something. How about this day in January? Mm, uh, let me keep it open. I might have something that day. 
Can't remember the last time you read a book. Can't remember the last time you spent a good quality time with God. Can't remember the last time you just sat and wrestled with your children. And it wasn't from dinner to homework to activity that you just sat and just hung out and played these things called board games. If that's you, you got no margin. And that's exactly what God wants us to avoid. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. St. Paul speaks some wisdom into us. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. What is the definition of a fool according to St. Paul? A fool is someone who has no margin, who does not redeem the time, who just lets the time consume him, and he's not in control of his time. His time is in control of him. So with that said, as my little intro right here, we're going to talk today about how to control our time and build margin into our time in a biblical, godly way. I am not going to talk about, I am not going to talk about techniques that you can use for time management. Okay, that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk principles, not techniques. Not because I don't believe you need those techniques. I absolutely do. Some people are paper and pen, some people are electronics, like planners, like whatever. Like whatever works for you. But my point is, don't think that a technique will solve a problem that is deeper than, than an outside problem. Like we have inside problems, you can't solve it with outside things. You need outside techniques, you need time management books and seminars, those are the best. But you need something deeper inside. And this is a spiritual principle. It's not even a spiritual, it's a life principle. That if you don't believe the Bible, you need to believe this, because this is the truth about every area of life. And the person who's going to teach us this principle is Moses. Moses from the Old Testament. And Moses has a great perspective on how we should approach our time and, therefore, our life. All right? Why Moses, first of all? Let me give you a nice verse about Moses. Moses, for those of you who don't know, lived to be 120 years old. And at the very end of Moses' life, right before he died, the Bible gives this testimony about Moses. Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. And then a strange sentence. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Moses was how old? 120. And what does the Bible say? That his eyes were in good shape. At 120. How many of us hit 40 and like, you know, like the Costco glasses we had to get and we started holding the thing and I never understood how this makes you see better, but somehow this does and we need more light in the room. This guy's 120 and he's got 20-20 vision. And in addition, not just his eyesight, his natural vigor was not diminished. I believe that there's some of us that are one-third of the age of Moses and have less natural vigor than this man. Some of us, one-sixth of his age, and we have lost more than Moses did after 120 years. What I'm trying to say with Moses, this guy has perspective. So I'm going to listen to what this guy said because this is what I want my life to be. I'd love the eyesight to stay strong, but more importantly, I'd love the natural vigor to not be diminished. So I'm going to listen to what this man has to say. And Moses gives us some wisdom in, the, in Psalm 90. Okay, and did you know, not all the Psalms are written by David. Okay, usually we think of Psalms, we think of David. Some Psalms are written by um, Solomon, wrote some Psalms. Some Psalms are written by uh, a musician named Asaph. And one Psalm was written by Moses. Psalms just means collection of songs together. And we're going to look at a specific Psalm, Psalm 90, and see what Moses teaches us from there. But first, let me give you the context of Moses' life, just so we understand. Moses didn't just lead one life. Like, if you get to be 120, you got multiple lives in the middle of that 120. 
Moses kind of had like four phases of his life. First 40 years, Moses spent as a, a, a child in the house of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh was like the king of the world. So Moses was like the prince of Egypt, as the movie is. So he was rich, he was powerful, he was famous. He had access to everything that he needed in life. Life was good in Pharaoh's house. Then all of a sudden, Moses got this thing inside him that says, I need to be with my people Israel. So he goes out into the street, and he kills an Egyptian who's giving a hard time to one of the Israelites. Well, Pharaoh didn't care too much for that. So basically, Pharaoh said, I'm going to kill you. We have to go retribution. So the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's house led to the second phase where Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. Doing what? Nothing. He went from New York City I don't want to offend anybody in the Midwest, okay? But just think of the middle of nowhere. Let's go. Anyone here from Montana? We'll go Montana, okay? There's no, I don't think I know anyone from Montana. Out to the pastures of Montana. And what's his job in Montana? There's three cows. Moses, every day you watch them cows go back that way. Then you bring them back at night. And the next day you do the same thing. And Moses, after New York City, the desert, for how long? 40 years. Do you know how long 40 years is? Do you know what 40 years from today is? Like, I haven't been alive 40 years. 40 years from today means that you start, like, back to the consultant world. Everything is projects. Okay, you get assignments. Your next assignment is from now to 2056. That's a 40-year assignment. We get a two-month project that we don't like, and, ah, I need to quit the job. Ah. This is a 40-year assignment. What is Moses thinking? as he's approaching his 80th birthday, and he's sitting there in the middle of nowhere. That life is pretty much over. It's unlikely to get a new assignment at age 80. Unlikely. I'm done. But God is not done with him. Enter phase three. And God says, Moses, I'll give you another shot at this thing. And he brings Moses back and says, Moses, you're going to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses comes in, and he's uh, the mouthpiece of God, and stands in front of Pharaoh and let my people go, and plagues, and the, and the, the river into the blood, and the, 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 all the stuff. And that's fantastic. And he leads the people, and they go through the Red Sea. And now Moses is living the good life. Now Moses is back to an exciting kind of life. How long does that last? Very short. <laughs> because as soon as he gets out, he enters phase four very quickly, which is the people complain. People don't trust God. God says, trust me, I got you. People say, no, we don't trust you. We complain. God says, no. Right. End result, God says, these people will never enter the promised land. You will spend 40 years. You spend 40 years with cows, you're going to be wishing for the days that you had them cows back. Because at least the cows didn't complain. These people are going to complain about you and to you every single day for 40 years. And at the very end of those 40 years, you will get to the brink of the promised land, and then you will die. Moses never entered the promised land. God took him to the top of a mountain, and he could say, you can see it, but you can't enter it. That's why it's good he had the good eyesight. Okay, that's why maybe we'll... <laughs> My point is, I trust Moses' perspective on time. The guy lived a long life with many phases. He understands the value of a day, a year, a lifetime. Let's see what Moses says in Psalm 90. We'll read it and kind of break it down. We're not going to go too much in depth into it because it's a long passage. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born. That's a nice image. Before the mountains were born. Or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. I love that way he starts it. You know what he does there? He sets for us the context in which we will have a discussion on time. 
The context is everlasting to everlasting. We're going to talk about how to schedule our time in very small slices. But the context is from everlasting to everlasting. Find yourself. Imagine, imagine this stage here is everlasting to everlasting. Minus infinity to plus infinity. Or minus infinity to plus infinity. Everlasting to everlasting. How long is your life? Where do you fit in there? Like take a pin and drop it and then cut that pin in half. The context of our discussion on time is not my life, is not my week. The context is everlasting to everlasting. I like that. Then he says this. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. I never been in like an action movie, but if I'm ever going to be like an action movie star, that's my line. Okay? Return to dust, you mortals. You know what I mean? Like, turn, like return to dust. Like, that's a cool action figure line. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. A watch in the night means like three hours, okay? And he's saying a thousand years is like three hours. Like me and you say, man, where has time gone? Like, I don't even remember 2015. You know what God says? God says, yeah, you know, the 2000, you know, the 1900s. Yeah, that was just a blur. Where, 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 where did the 1900s go? You, you look up and 1900 is gone. The whole 1900, that whole century. That's how God is from everlasting to everlasting. It goes on. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Don't take this in an offensive way. Okay, we look at this and say this is kind of rude for God to say like your life is, is pretty much nothing. It sprouts up and goes away. We take that rude. It's not rude. You know why? Because it's true, exactly. It's not rude, it's true. And I don't know why we find this offensive that our life is short. If you're going from negative infinity to positive infinity, your life on this earth, 20, 30, 50, 60, 80, 100 years, is nothing. It is, as Moses is saying, like in the morning, a piece of grass popped up, you go to work, you came back, and the grass died. That's our life on this earth. It's not offensive, it's truth. Skip to verse 10. It says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. How many of you are glad you came to church today? <laughs> nice upbeat message, right? Moses is saying here, no matter how long your life is, and he says, eh, our, our days here are very short and they're usually not very good. So he gives us the context. Now we get to the meat of what he's trying to say. Verse 11 and 12 is kind of the meat. Verse 11 is a tough verse. And I'll read it, and then I'll try to tell you what does it mean, okay? Because it's kind of hard English here. It says, if we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. It's a tough verse, okay? And if you look in different translations of the Bible, you'll find many people translated this different ways. It's very hard. Don't, don't, let's not get too much on the, on the logistics of it. Let me tell you not what it say, but what does it mean? What it means is this means, God, if we could see you as you really are, if we could see God as he really is, we would give him the reverence he is due. He set the context. God is from everlasting to everlasting. And our life is but just a grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. If we, God, could see you as you really are, then we would give you the reverence you are due. We would honor you the way that you are due. And specifically, he's talking about it with how we schedule our time. We would honor you in the way that you are deserving. Now he gives us the punchline right here. Verse 12. 
And we're going to say this verse a lot and hopefully memorize this verse. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Can we say that together? Say it with me. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What, what Moses is saying right here is the way to be wise in this life is to realize, like, let me flip that. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Teach us to live as if our time is not infinite. Let's be honest. Most of us, we don't live this way. We live our lives as if our time is infinite. We live our lives as if our time is infinite. I'll show you how you know. We spend time with our children as if we will always have those children, as if they will always be around. We don't look at it as, you know what? I need to make the most of today because I don't know how many more days I got with my kids. We don't look at it as our time with our parents may be numbered. We look at it as, oh, they'll be there forever. So we take them for granted today, tomorrow, because they'll be around forever. How about our health? We don't look at it as our health is limited. We don't look at it. There may be a come a time where I won't be able to do this stuff that I'm doing. So I'm going to do what I have to today. Teach me, Lord, to number my days, to live as if my days are numbered, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. We do the opposite. We live as if our days are not numbered. We live as if we have money in our pocket today. We'll always have money in our pocket. We got kids right here. They'll always be there. They'll be there tomorrow. We got a wife who loves us, who cares for us, who supports for us. She'll be there tomorrow with her love and support. She'll always be there. Our parents will always be there. Our health, we will live as if our life will always be there. And Moses is saying, that's not a smart way to go about this thing. You say, how do I live as if my life is numbered? My days are numbered. Well, I'll tell you, we've all done it. We have all done it before. I'll give you an easy example. If you're married, specifically ladies, if you're married, you got engaged, you had a wedding date, and you knew your days were numbered. And you knew there was a limited period of time in which to get done all that you needed to get done. So you knew that at a point in time, my ability to prepare for this event is going to run out. There's going to be a day where there's no more time to prepare. Maybe guys, when you got engaged, your days are numbered, but maybe you looked at it in a different way. Okay, days are numbered, okay? If you take an exam, I'm always astounded. I'm always astounded by people who say, I'm studying for the MCATs. Okay, when is that? Uh... It's September of 2017. What does that mean? I don't understand what it means, or 2016, I'm sorry. What does that mean that I'm studying for an exam that's eight months away? I don't know what that means, but we, some people do that. And they say, you know what? I got eight months, and I somehow need to know what I'm studying today to be prepared for this thing because I know my days are numbered. We all did this at some point in time in our life. We numbered our days because we said we have a limited period of time, and at some point, that time is going to run out. That's not a foolish way to live. That's a wise way to live. I tell you, be careful. Your days on this earth are numbered. You say, hey, Father, anything, take it easy. Like, well, it's night. Like, why, why? It's offensive. It's offensive. Why is that offensive? Why does that make you, make you feel bad? If I tell you the exam is on this day, hey, no, don't tell me when the exam is. Let me just enjoy my time when the exam comes when it comes. What's the point of telling you when the exam comes? that you would make the most of your time between now and then. Is that you would make wise choices. Teach us to number our days that we gain a heart of wisdom. Someone who knows the exam is in a year versus in a week will make different choices based on that knowledge. So I know the exam is in two weeks, so that affects what I choose to do this coming weekend. 
I know that, the, uh, that like I said earlier in, uh, in the sermon today, I know that a baby is coming. I'm pregnant. The days are numbered. I know the baby's going to come there. So that's going to affect what I do this weekend, next week. I'm going to make wise choices. Teach us to number our days so we may gain a heart of wisdom. Said another way. Let's say it this way. Remembering that our time is limited gives us wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. Remembering that our time is limited gives us wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. You see, when we begin to number our days, when we begin to number our days, we gain wisdom and perspective and how to spend those days. My time is limited, so I need wisdom to know how to spend my limited time. Now, here's what I'm going to do for the rest of here today. I'm going to do you the biggest favor ever. You are going to thank me for what I'm about to do next. And if you don't realize it today, you will one day, I promise you, if you listen to what I'm saying, the best thing that anyone will ever do for you is what I'm about to do for you right now. Because I'm about to, I know what some of you are thinking, like, okay, but how long is it going to take? Okay. <laughs> we'll get limited time, okay? But no, just stick with me here, okay? What I'm going to do for you the most valuable thing you are going to thank me for is I'm going to right now fast forward your life to the end. And we're going to fast forward to your final days on this earth when truly your days are numbered and you know those numbered days. And we're going to see together the wisdom that comes when our life is at the end. How am I going to do that? Has anyone ever heard of a lady named Brawny Ware? Anybody? No one's ever heard of her. Okay, Bronnie Ware is a lady who wrote a book, I think it was in 2012 or 11. Not really sure. The name of the book is entitled The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Bronnie Ware is a lady who was a nurse. Don't worry, her, her actual profession is important. She spent time with people in their final weeks and days on earth. Okay, like a hospice kind of a care, but really for those who are really at the end. She spent time with people in the last... 12 weeks of their life and she would spend time with them when they knew their days were numbered no more than three months left to live she would spend time with them all the way till the end and in her book she even talks about most of the time is even less than 12 weeks most of the time it's people who knew they only had two three four weeks to live something like that and she would take care of them this is her job and she would talk with them and she would ask them questions and one of the questions she would always ask is what are your regrets in life and she noticed a pattern. And she noticed there were certain things that were repeated over and over. There was certain wisdom that came with those who knew their time was really numbered. And she put it in a book for us. It talks about the top five regrets that people had. I'm going to go through the top two. I just want to share with you the top two. And when I share these top two, believe me, they will give you a perspective that you will never be able to gain on your own. Of the two, I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to go number two and then number one. One of them, the second one, which I'll share first, isn't a surprise, but the first one I guarantee will surprise you. Let's start with the easy one. Number two regret of those who are dying. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Does this surprise anybody? Does this surprise anybody that someone on their deathbed? I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Ronnie Ware says this. 
listen to this, especially the men. This came, this is a direct quote from her book. This came from every male patient that I nursed. Every male patient. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as many were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men, I cannot stress that all enough, all of the men nursed deeply, regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. You will thank me later. You know what this means? Men and women, but men especially, but you know what this means? This means if you don't learn to number your days, if you don't learn to live as if your days are numbered, you will get to the end of a very successful career and successful life, and you will have a very avoidable regret. You will have a great career and a great success story to tell, and then you will be filled with a regret that is 100% avoidable. And you're going to realize, like these people whose day lives as if their days are numbers, you can't go back. You can't go back. There ain't no undo on this life. There ain't no undo to when you have a newborn baby. That newborn baby is only newborn baby once. You only got one chance to lay the foundation with that child. That's only one chance. You not go back and say, well, let's go back to our engagement and do this right. You only got one chance to be engaged. You only got one chance to be single. You only got one chance to be married. Like, you only got one chance to do this thing right. If you're 20, this is the only time you're going to be 20. If you're 30, it's the only time you're be 30. If you're 40, maybe you'd be 40 for a few more years. Okay, but whatever. Okay, you shouldn't really be 40 for more than five, six, seven years. Okay? You only got one chance to do this. And the number two regret that the people whose days are literally numbered, who know that's the end. I numbered my days. The wisdom that comes with that says, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. That's number two. Number one will surprise you. It shocked me. The number one regret of people at the very end. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Not what you expected, is it? Look what Bronnie says. He says, this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. Watch this. Health brings a freedom few realize until they no longer have it. You're welcome. You will thank me for that later. What do I do with this? What do I do with this? You just told me the top two regrets. What do I do with this? These are the regrets. What do I do with this? What do I do with this now that you told me this stuff and you want me to number my, like, what do I do with this practically? Well, I'm going to tell you what, what you're going to do with it and I'm going to give you a homework assignment for this week. But first, let me tell you what to be, oh, be wary of to not do. Because I guarantee you, 
I guarantee you, I'm sitting here saying slow down and work and live a life true to yourself. And I'm not even saying it. Bronnie Ware, who did this, like she's saying, it. I'm not saying it. The people whose days are numbered. This is the wisdom that they're giving. This is not my wisdom. My is not for me. This wasn't for Moses and these guys. What do I do with it? Let me tell you what not to do with it, first of all. As soon as I tell you this, I know automatically you're going to say, you're going to take this home and you say, okay, I want to make this practical. But as soon as I make this practical, all the fears are going to start to come in. But what if? And you're going to say, but if I slow down, and I got a few for you here, so let, let's discuss this together because I like to discuss things openly. But if I slow down, Father Anthony, if I slow down, I'll never make it. Father Anthony, if I slow down, I'll never make it. If I don't work as much, I'll never make it. I'll never make it. Well, let me ask you a question. What's it? What's it? I'll never make it. Okay, what's it? If you're going to spend your whole life chasing it, you might as well define it. What's it? What are you trying to make? What are you trying to reach to? What's the goal? What's the end? Dying people, people whose days are numbered, will tell you, make sure you have the right it. Because you don't want to be the fastest one to cross the wrong finish line. You don't want to be one who climbs to the top of the ladder and then realizes the ladder on the wrong building. What's it? How about this? I'll fall behind. But I'll fall behind. Who? Who's chasing you? Behind what? I don't want my kids to fall behind. Why? What? Behind what? How about this one? Father Anthony, you don't know. You got it easy. Your job, you only work one day a week. My job, I need to work more. If I don't work hard, I'll be poor and miserable. I'll be poor and miserable. Then let me say this, okay, because I want to be very clear on this one. There's some people, yes, financially, they struggle, need to work. I'm not, I absolutely understand. We got to put food on the table to eat. But I want you to define what is poor and miserable. Because I guarantee you, the people who say, I'll be poor and miserable, I'll be poor and miserable, I'll be poor and miserable. I never met one person who gets to the end of their life and says, you know, my life would have been better if I had more money. Never one person. How about this one? I won't be accepted. I won't be accepted. By who? Remember back in high school? We all wanted to be accepted by the cool kids? Where are the cool kids today? I don't know. Because six months after we graduated, we lost touch with everybody. And there are people, we laugh about it, but you know what? Deep inside, a lot of us act like high school kids today. We are trying to be accepted by people that we won't even know a year from now. And we don't even like them. But we're trying to be accepted by them. Last one. I won't measure up. You know what I'm going to ask you. To what? What are you trying to measure up to? If you are going to spend your whole life chasing it, be smart. Pull the car over. Say, where am I trying to get to? Don't just drive 100 miles an hour. Pull the car over. What's the destination? Define what it is. Let me give you another way that you can do it, another practical way. Something that I have tried to do personally when people ask me questions about stuff. I put it on your hand up. Stop asking yourself, Am I free? Start asking yourself, is it wise? People come to me. Say, hey, Father Anthony, what are you doing next Thursday? I'm like, no. That's not the way we start the question. Because just because I tell you I have nothing, commitment, doesn't mean I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. 
It's not a matter of if I'm free, I do whatever. No. What do you want from me? And then I will ask myself the question, is it wise to do it? What are you doing next Thursday? That, that, that's not relevant. I don't care. Am I free? I care. Is it wise? How many times someone says, hey, let's do this. You look at your calendar. It's free. Okay, you do it. Is that the wise way to do it? Or do you ask yourself? For example, let me get, make it practical. You ask your someone says, hey, let's go out on Friday night. You don't say, am I free Friday night? You say, is it wise? Is it wise given that I haven't had a night to myself in two weeks? That I haven't had a night of quiet in two weeks? Is it wise to make this social commitment? Not am I free? Is it wise? Is it wise given that I'm already coaching my kids' soccer team and I'm already volunteering for this event? Is it wise to commit to this? Is it wise to chase this promotion at this particular phase in my life when life is a little bit hectic? Is it wise? Not am I free? Is it wise? Every stage of your life, every stage of your life, God has a plan of how to spend that. And if we're just looking at are we free, man, we are going to miss out on is it wise? So here's what you're going to do. Here's your homework assignment. On the back of your handout, you see this little diagram right here. You say, what in the world is this? This is your homework, okay? Last week, I gave you all discussion questions. This is your discussion for this week. This is what you take, your homework, you discuss this. This is what you do. You fill out this little diagram right here, and you are going to, in those lines, create margin in your schedule by answering the following things. What do I need to add? What do I need to subtract? What do I need more of? What do I need less of in my life, in my schedule? What do I need to add that's non-existent? What do I need to remove completely? Some things need to be added. Some things need to be removed. Some things need more of. Some things need less of. Your homework assignment is to go through this. And I would encourage you strongly. If you're married, you discuss this with your spouse. If you have children, I want to discuss this with my children. Especially that part about, about being true to yourself. Like that was eye-opening for me. I want to have that discussion with my children. And I encourage you to have discussion with your children as well. Discuss this with your social circle. What do we need more of? What do we need less of? And let me give you some hypotheticals of things that you could include. Especially on the less of or the minus. You could include names of people on there. I know that sounds harsh. But some people, like let's be honest. Some people need to be removed from your life. Some people need to be removed. Some people need to be less up. There should be no pointing now, okay? Not, not the time to point, okay, to who they are. Just write their name and initials and then kick them out of your life later after lunch. Don't excommunicate them right on the spot right there. Some people, some people, let's be honest, they are robbing you of your life. Say, rob me of if they rob you of your time, your time is your life. Some people need to be on that list of minus. Some people need to be on the list of plus. There are people, like I said, is it wise given my parents getting older? Is it wise to spend all my time with my friends or maybe one night with my parents? Maybe my parents need to be on that plus list. And I say that as a parent, hoping my kids will listen to this in 10 years or 20 years, okay? <laughs> Tell you what else you could put on that list, especially around the minus list, around the minus. Video games could be on that list. Our good friend, Mr. Facebook, could be on that list. And don't forget, old tried and true, with all the technology that comes, old tried and true will always be a time sucker on all of our lives, which is TV. I'll tell you a statistic. Let me tell you statistics. That's scary. The average American 
in 2015 watches how many hours of TV a week? 28. <laughs> Do you know what 28 hours is? 28 hours is three full nine-hour workdays. 28 hours is three full nine-hour workdays with one-hour margin to spare. <laughs> The average American, by the time they reach 70, will have spent 10 years in front of the television. 10 years? That's crazy. Those are crazy. And that's average. Couch potato? <laughs> I'm not saying TV is bad, but I'm saying, is it wise to spend so much time in front of the television? We have limited time, so we need to limit what we do with our time. This is our prayer for today, and I'm really praying that this is not just in one ear and out the other, but I promise you, if you can take this big, God-sized perspective from everlasting to everlasting, my life is just a blip in the middle there. Lord, teach me to number my days, because I know my days are numbered. Teach me to live as if my days are numbered, and give me a heart of wisdom. Like, if you can take this big God perspective, and your life is so small, and you can make this practical, I promise you, you will get to the end of your life. And you will thank God for the wisdom which you used to make good choices about how to spend your time on this earth. Okay? Let's stand together for a prayer. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gifts of life that you gave to us. And, and often, Lord, we take for granted all, like, the health, the relationships, time with you like we take these things for granted Lord but we're really praying that you would teach us to live as if our days are numbered teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom to know what to say yes to what to say no to what we need more of what we need less of that we can like look back one day and not live with these regrets but live a life that we look back and say that we honored you with our time we did the things that you asked us to do and we did them in a way that makes you proud Pray that you'd help all of us, Lord, as we approach this holiday time to not be frenetic and crazy, but to really spend some time to figure out what is the wise way to use the great gift of time that you gave to us. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.